I'm uh, really excited to introduce to you our, our chapel speaker this morning, Dr. Juan Carlos Tellez. Uh, he's the assistant professor. He's assistant professor of intercultural studies in the Christian Ministries Department. Uh, he teaches cultural anthropology at 8 a.m., but don't worry, he rewards his students with hot coffee for waking up so early. He was born and raised in Colombia, where he learned to love coffee and football, and where he met his lovely wife of 22 years, Emily. They have four crazy kids that occupy their emotional energy, their spare time, and their money. Uh, still, they love those crazy kids. Carlos plays and plays and coaches and watches too much soccer, and he reads for fun. Uh, he's also a blue belt in Brazilian jiu-jitsu, which is fantastic, so watch out. Um, he practices that along with his sons, who are 14 and 12. Um, he loves teaching here at Northwestern um, and is grateful to be doing his dream job. So would you welcome with me to the stage this morning, Dr. Tejas. You guys, it's been a good week. It's been a good life. It's been a good everything. So I went to my first Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu tournament on Saturday, and um, not to brag or anything, but I am 45 years old, and I got to compete with a 25-year-old and a 26-year-old. And uh, I got third place out of three of us. I know, I know. Hey, I did great for the first three minutes. And then, no, not so much anymore. Uh, yeah, I, I need to work out a little bit more because it was rough. Hey, what's the worst job you've ever had? Can you think of the worst job you've ever had? So let me tell you a little story. I was, I was 22 years old. I had just graduated from college, just graduated from college in Colombia, and then I moved to the U.S., and I started working for this church in Birmingham, Alabama, where I was supposed to start a Hispanic ministry. So I, I'm working at this church. I get no job description. I don't know who I'm working with, like who my team is. I'm not, like, I have this split thing that I'm supposed to do, that I'm supposed to work with Hispanic ministry and I'm supposed to work with youth. And then to top it all off, I have two bosses. I've been, has anyone ever had two bosses? Don't do that. <laughs> and these two bosses would like badmouth each other. So about, after about, you know, four or five months of um, this, I, as a very mature 22-year-old, I did what any adult would do in their adulting life. I sat in front of my boss, I looked at him, and I just started crying. <laughs> I just wept, and I was so stressed out. Oh, that was so rough. Man, having a job, not knowing exactly what you're supposed to do is really hard. Not knowing who your team is, not knowing who you're supposed to serve, and not knowing who you're supposed to report to. It's really hard. So today we're going to look at a passage in 1 Peter chapter 3. You can open your Bibles or your electronic devices. 1 Peter chapter 3, we're going to look at uh, verses 8 through 12. And what I want to submit to you is that um, this passage gives us kind of like a big picture of what is it. You know, this, this year we're talking about thy kingdom come, the, the movement and the mission of Jesus and so I want to submit to you in, in broad terms that I want to kind of give us a few buckets in which to put the movement and the mission of Jesus 
for us. So I'm going to give you like three buckets. So we're going to kind of work our way through this passage. And I want to give you, think of like you have one job. You have one job description. So think of this as a job description with three responsibilities. You know how you always have a job description and then you have responsibilities under it? So think of three main responsibilities. Now, I have to tell you guys something. Because I have four kids at home, I love when people shout back to me. Okay? So I'm going to ask you guys, okay, okay? Okay. All right. So I'm going to ask you guys to shout back at me because that's just what makes me feel at home, okay? Okay. So I I need you guys to be engaged. I need you guys. In fact, I'm going to say, I'm going to say a little phrase in Spanish. I'm going to say, si me hago entender, and you guys are going to say, si profe. You're going to say it. Si profe. Si me hago entender. Si profe. I hear these two guys, and that's about all I hear. But that's good, guys. Keep it up. 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 8 through 12. ¿Sí me hago entender? Sí, profe. Finally, all of you, be like-minded, be sympathetic, love one another, be compassionate and humble. Do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult. On the contrary, repay evil with blessing, because to this you were called so that you may inherit a blessing. For whoever would love life and seek good days must keep their tongue from evil and their lips from deceitful speech. They must turn from evil and do good. They must seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are attentive to their prayer, but the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. So we're gonna kind of go down uh, verse by verse. So let me start with verse, um, verse eight here. Finally, all of you, be like-minded, be sympathetic, love one another, be compassionate and humble. How many of you like grammar? Why are you so shy and raising your hand about grammar? If you're one of those people who loves to correct other people's like Instagram posts and stuff like that, you're going to hate this verse. (laughs) Check it out. Here's a little little Greek geeky thing, okay? Okay. All right, you see that verse, how it says, finally, all of you, be like-minded, be sympathetic, love one another. It sounds like, actually, in the Greek, in the Greek it also says, it, it just says, all of you, like-minded, sympathetic, love, compassion, humility. It doesn't have a verb. So what does that mean? See, Peter was using this uh, structure that's called a chiastic structure. I'm sure you guys have seen this in your classes, interpreting scripture, a chiastic structure, right? Where you take the two outer ideas, and they go together, and then the two inner ideas, and they go together to highlight the one in the middle. So let's look at the outer two. This is a chiastic structure in that verse. So we're going to take the last two. So the the first and the last. Like-minded and humble, they actually go together. And if you want to really geek out, look at them in the Greek because they're actually quite related to each other. Like-minded and humble, that speaks of a mindful disposition toward other people. Mindful disposition. It's, it's that idea in Ephesians or Philippians chapter 2 of elevating others above yourself. Being mindful of elevating others above yourself. And then the second pair, sympathetic and compassionate, it's not so much about the mind as it is about the heart. It's not just about a mindful disposition toward others. It's about a heartfelt disposition toward others. So Peter is saying, hey, listen, when, you, when you're dealing with the church, we're going to start with the church. I want you to be mindful of one another, elevating each other above yourselves, and I want you to be, have a heartfelt, feel with others, right? And in the middle of it, of it all, it says what? 
love one another. So the first bucket, the first responsibility, the first thing that Peter is going to say to us is love the church. Everyone say, love the church. Love the church. Why, why can I only hear these two guys up front, guys? Come on, people in the back, say, love the church. Okay, now I didn't hear you guys. That's good. Did you guys not say anything? We were waiting for them. Oh, we are waiting for them. Okay. How kind of you. That is what's called having a mindful disposition toward others. Very good. Immediate application of the passage. Hey, I, I've coached soccer for a long time, and I don't know if you've ever coached, but there's, there are these people. I don't, you probably know what I'm talking about. The people who love to show up to the game but don't like to go to the practice. Have you, have, do you, do you, get, you know what I'm talking about? Oh my goodness, that drives me crazy. So I remember I was, I'm not talking about any of you, by the way, because I have not coached any of you. But I remember this one time, this girl, she was not very good at soccer, and she would show up to the games, but she didn't want to come to practice. And so you know what she would do? Like, I would be like, you know, she's here, and we need a sub. We really need a sub because everyone else is tired, and we live in Georgia. That's when we live back in, Alabama, in Atlanta. And so I'm like, okay, go ahead. And she, like, starts running the wrong way. She starts taking the, the ball from her teammates. By the way, you don't do that in soccer. I don't know if, I don't know if you know soccer much or, or not, but you don't do that in soccer. You don't take the ball away from your teammates. She, and then at one point, she stops, and she goes, hey, coach, what are we doing again? And I'm like, I'm sorry, what do you mean? She's like, like, can you remind me what we're supposed to be doing? I'm like, okay, you see that ball? We're supposed to put it on the back of that net. She goes, oh, right. And she, off she goes. Hey, listen, in order to love the church, this, this whole attitude of I'm going to show up for the game, but I'm not going to show up for practice, is how a lot of us sometimes treat the church. We want to show up for the nice, beautiful things, but we don't want to do the work and spend time with people in order to develop ourselves and develop the other people. So what does that mean? Hey, in order for us to love the church, everyone say, love the church. Love the church! Okay, now I can hear everybody. In order for us to love the church, you have to go to church to love the church because love is spelled T-I-M-E. That's how you spell love. You cannot love someone if you do not spend time with them. We love the church by going to church. Now, chapel is awesome, right? Yeah. yeah. Chapel is not church. It is awesome, but it is not church. Chapel is not church. I want to um, beseech thee, as Paul would say in the NIV. Oh, no, that's not NIV. What's that? KG, KJV. Yeah. I, I beseech thee. Go find a local church. Go find a place where you know people and you are known by people cross-generationally. I love this picture of my son, Mateo. He's 10 years old. And I love seeing him with uh, Megan talking and with Doug talking. Megan is in, in her 20s and Doug is in his 60s and Mateo's 10. And they're sitting there talking. That is the church at its best. It's knowing people and being known by people. It's a place where you can develop a corporate identity and it's a place where you can develop personal intimacy with people. It's a place where you can develop your gifts by serving others and it's a place where you can be uh, blessed by being served by others. Go to church. That is the first task that we are called to. So the first thing that Peter is telling us, the kingdom job description, the first thing is? Love the church. 
That was like three of you. The first responsibility is? Love the church. Love the church. All right, let's keep going. Verse 9. Do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult. On the contrary, repay evil with blessing, because to this you were called so that you may inherit a blessing. For whoever would love life and see good days must keep their tongue from evil and their lips from deceitful speech. They must, not, they must turn away from evil and do good. They must seek peace and pursue it. Now, Peter is going to turn. Before he was talking about the church, now he's going to turn and talk about the broader world. And he starts by saying, hey, do not repay evil with evil. Now, let's back up for a moment. If you recall, the situation that was happening in 1 Peter was one of persecution. If you look at chapter uh, 1, verse 1, it says that these are people who have been exiled throughout, exiled and scattered throughout, right? These are refugees. They're religious refugees who are scattered throughout various provinces. And so Peter is reminding them, look, you have to love the church. That's your team. Now, I want, I want to talk to you about how to face the world. And here's your attitude to the world. And first, the first thing he says is, do not repay evil with evil. I don't want you to repay evil with evil. People are going to do nasty things to you. In fact, they've already done nasty things to you. They've, they've already, you've already lost your job. You've probably lost family members. You've probably lost your homes. But do not repay evil with evil. You're not at war with them. You bless them. So our second responsibility, if the first one was? The second one is bless the world. Everyone say that with me. Bless, bless the, world. the world. The second one is bless the world. And he's going to talk about it in two different ways. The first one is what I would call reactive kindness. Reactive kindness. What does that mean? When someone's a jerk to you, what do you do? You're not a jerk back. You bless them back. If someone goes low, you go high. Because we have a higher ethic and Jesus is our example of that. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So he's saying, you, when, when people are a jerk to you, thou shalt not be a jerk, to quote the name of the book. Thou shalt not be a jerk because Jesus has loved you even when you were at your lowest. It doesn't matter. That's, that's reactive civility. But look at verse 10. That's not the only thing. Then he talks about this idea of, he says, um, for whoever would love life and see good days must keep their tongue from evil and their lips from deceitful speech. They must turn from evil and do good. They must seek and pursue, seek peace and pursue it. But it's not just reactively. It's actually proactively. It's proactive kindness. You're not just sitting there waiting, being nice to people, but you're proactively seeking the good of the place where God places you. You are seeking the good of wherever God places you. And that's not just by being nice to your neighbors. Hello, good morning, neighbor. That's fine. But it's in all of life, all of your life, you're proactively seeking the good of wherever God places you. Dr. Hornbeek has talked about this from Jeremiah chapter 29, verse 7. He has said several times that wherever you are planted, there you seek the good of the city where you're planted. Now, look at this, where you're planted. Look at this. It says, seek peace and pursue it. What word does that come from? Peace? Shalom. He's saying, seek the shalom of the place where you are placed. Wherever you guys go, wherever God takes you, you are to seek the peace, the shalom, the prosperity, the, the flourishing of that place. 
And by the way, guys, you are at Northwestern to develop your skills, to develop your competence, to develop everything so that you can be a blessing to the world. That's what you're going to do. You're going to be a blessing to the world. I, I, my, my dad is a very generous person, and he's also a general contractor, which is very helpful. One day, he came to um, Atlanta, and this was accidental, okay? We put him in a room, and we forgot to open the vents, and the, the vents, and it was the dead of winter in Atlanta, so it was like 60 degrees. In the morning after, he, he woke up, and he was like, this is very, very cold. And we said, oh, sorry. He's like, I think you need new windows. And I'm like, and he says, I think I'm going to get you new windows. And I was like, yeah, that's awesome. Can I take you to the basement next? You know. <laughs> so my dad does this thing. And my dad's very generous, but he's a little unpredictable. <laughs> well, some of you smirked. I don't know what you're thinking. He's a little unpredictable. What I mean by that is he'll be super generous one time, and then another time he'll talk generous, but not necessarily be generous. So I'm a little scared, but he goes, hey, so this is like several thousand dollars worth of windows that we're supposed to get, right? And he's like, hey, my, my, my dad is Colombian, so he calls me JC. Or actually, I was saying Colombian. No, mire, chino, ¿sabe qué? Eh, ponga las ventanas y, y tranquilo, chino, que yo le pago. Hey, just, just go do it and I'll pay you back. Wait, pay for several thousand dollars worth of windows and you will pay me back? So that's from the Emperor's New Groove. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> you will pay me back. That's a little risky. That's a little risky. By the way, I know everyone wants to, yeah, go ahead, you can do it now, because everyone wants to do it. I know. It's kind of a trademark, okay? I'll pay you back, okay? And I'm like, okay, that's risky. Why is it risky? Because I'm supposed to give all this stuff out, expecting my dad to put all this stuff in so that I have the resources to pay all that stuff out. That's really risky. But that's faith. We do all these things toward others in expectation that our Heavenly Father is going to provide for us so that we can give to them. And that's what God expects us to do. He says, if you're a blessed person, you better, be a ble you better bless others if you're a blessed person. If I forgive you, you better forgive others. If, if, I, if I've shown you kindness, then be kind to others. And so we're seeking the blessing of the world. We are going to bless the world. And by the way, I asked some of your profs. I, I mean, let's see. Do we have any engineering majors here? Oh. Here's what, what, what blessing the world might look like for an engineer. Dr. Mike Jacobson, Jacobson, he said this. A Christian engineer must not hide their identity in Christ at their workplace. Establishing a holistic, trustworthy identity glorifies the Lord's work in the life of an engineer and builds trust with colleagues, with trust, uh, um, and trust builds a source of support and guidance in the faith at such workplace, Bible studies, discussion groups, prayer times, and after-hours community projects are all common. How about business majors? Here's what Professor Jessa Nelson said. 
empathetically, thoughtfully, and collaboratively, uh, collaboratively solve problems, fill marketplace gaps, meet needs, and manage their careers, households, and community presence, and influence in a way that builds bridges with and demonstrates the unsurpassable worth of everyone in their sphere of influence. How about education majors? Yeah. Here's what Dr. Janelle Pasiga said. The Lord's heart yearns for children to have the opportunity to know him through the knowledge that they are deeply loved and valued. As Christian educators, we bless the world by being on the front lines of in communicating this fact with all students every day. By the way, shameless plug, we have a trip, if you can show that slide, we have a trip to Thailand. Um, we have a trip to Thailand, and if you're interested, please email Mary Holly. It's a month-long trip to teach English. So if you want to kind of understand a little bit of what, what that means, email Mary Holly, and we have an uh, informational meeting on October 12th. If you're thinking of education, this is a great way to kind of get, get into that idea. So just get more information from Mary Holly. All right, how about nursing students? Here's what Professor Sealing said. I hope that my nursing students would always see every patient they encounter as a blessing to take care for and as valued, important, and loved because they're God's beloved and carry his message. Because of that, they would care for their patients with a love, mercy, compassion, and kindness that sets them apart from their peers and makes their patients feel valued, important, and loved as they experience the reflection of God's love through our nursing students and alum. How about English majors? Here's what Dr. Steve Hawthorne said. Our discipline blesses the world by helping it tell its excitingly varied stories with passion and clarity and strength. We help people move people to tears, to joy, to action. Studying literature and writing helps the people in the world learn more about themselves, about the world, and about God. So what's the first responsibility? What's the second one? All right, let's look at the last verse. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are attentive to their prayer, but the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. God is attentive to the righteous. Who are the righteous? 2 Corinthians chapter, verse, uh, chapter 5, verse 21 says this. He who knew no sin became sin for us so that we can become the righteousness of God. Who is he talking about? He's talking about believers. He's talking about believers here, and he's saying this. He's saying Hey, God is attentive to us, but we're also all accountable to him. We're all accountable to him. And we don't like to think about accountability because it, it kind of feels a little scary. But see, we, we, we think about accountability and then you think of the injustices going on in the world. You think of human trafficking. You think of all the injustices. But the same God who, who judges the injustices of the world is the one who judges, judges the injustices of our hearts. So the third responsibility, if the first one is to... Love the church. The second one is to... Love the world. The third one is to trust the Lord. Everyone say it with me. Trust, trust the Lord. I, uh, if you can show a picture of my family for a moment. I wanted to show you... Um, That's my family, Lake Phelan, east side of St. Paul, east side pride. Uh, all right, you see the kid there with the glasses on the right side? His name is Julian. When he was four years old, 
we went to a trip on a family trip to Birmingham, Alabama. And okay, you guys, most of you probably don't have kids, but I'm gonna, I'm gonna tell you something. My, my wife and I made a deal that she would take care of the kids at night for the first year of their lives, and then they were up to me. And I was like, okay, because I was thinking about sleep in the moment, terrible idea, okay? Because then the kids, when they're scared at night, they don't even say, mommy. They only say, papi. That's me, <laughs> this kid. So we go to visit our friends in Birmingham, Alabama, and Julian, and Julian, uh, we got to sleep on, in the basement, and Julian was sleeping on the first floor. All the kids were sleeping on the first floor. About, about three in the morning, I hear little footsteps. I'm also a super light sleeper. I hear little footsteps. And you know, I kind of look over and I see the door open. And I, and I, I hear these little footsteps coming and, and someone stands right in front of me. Someone stands right in front of me and says, in Spanish, so I'll just translate part of it, but he says, Papi, I'll translate it. Daddy, I had a quesadilla. And I'm like, a quesadilla? <laughs> the Spanish word for nightmare is pesadilla. And he got confused and he said, quesadilla. <laughs> that's not part of the story, but just, uh, that's just cute. It actually happened. And I said, I said, oh, you had a pesadilla, got it. He's like, yeah, 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 pesadilla. And, I, you know, I, I, I don't let my kids sleep in the bed with me because they wake me up and they kick me. Um, I don't let them do that. So I was like, here's what I did. I take notes. I took his hand, and what I do with my kids, I say, I take him back to their room, and I pray with them like a good daddy, right? I, I'm a good, good father, right? I, and, I, and, I, and, I, and I put him to bed, and then I pray. Well, as I'm going with Julian, holding his hand, and I'm going upstairs, I realize that it's really, really dark. And I'm like, whoa, it's really dark, Jules. Now, that's how I call him now. Juliancito está como super oscuro. And I say, Julian, what was your nightmare about? He says, I, I thought that you were a big bad monster who was trying to eat me. <laughs> and I'm like, me? He's like, yeah, you're the big bad monster who's trying to eat me. <laughs> and I'm like, okay, here's what, here's what clicked to me. My four-year-old son thought I was a monster and he trekked through the darkness to come to me? <laughs> what a spiritual lesson. Prophetic. prophetic indeed. <laughs> he trekked through the darkness to come to his father because he did not believe what his quesadilla made his dreams to think. <laughs> he did not believe that. He actually believed who I am, not who, what his mind was telling him he wo I was. He believed who I am because of his knowledge of me instead of what his, whatever that did, whatever that nightmare. He's like, I, I have this nightmare. I'm not going to believe my nightmares of who God is, of who my daddy is. I'm going to believe who my dad is. And that is what it means to trust the Lord, guys. Not whatever the world is saying. That is not what we believe. Whatever people are saying, that is not what we believe. We believe who God is and we trust the Lord. So the first responsibility is to? Love the The second responsibility is to? Bless the world. And the third responsibility is to? Trust the Lord. Guys, as we go out, we love the church. 
Go, get plugged into a local church. Go, bless the world in everything you do. And then go, trust the Lord. Give him every aspect of your life. Trust him with everything. Give him everything that anyone can give to God. Give him everything. He is worthy and he is worth it. Let me pray for us. Jesus, you are so good to us. Thank you for your kindness. Thank you for your love. And we trust you. And we know that you've called us as kingdom people to love the church, to bless the world, and to trust the Lord. We trust you. Amen. Amen. You are the...